0: Morning, we'll be reading from Hebrews, the fourth chapter, uh, one and two. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for this opportunity to be gathered together again this morning. Lord, we come before you first and foremost with hearts of gratitude for that opportunity. Thankful that you have seen us through another week, and as we stand at the threshold of a fresh week, hopefully full of new beginnings, we place our sick under your care and humbly ask that you restore your servants to health again. We ask that you help those who have lost loved ones. As over this last week and help them through that loss and grief that only you can above all else please grant us the grace to acknowledge your will and know that whatever you do and have for us that you do for the love of us in your son's name amen
1: Next hymn this morning number 645 645 the old rugged cross we'll just sing the first and third verse first and third verse of the old rugged cross
2: 645 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a Sure. So-
3: You know, people are fickle. If you don't know what fickle means, it means changing frequently, especially as regards to one's loyalties, interests, and affections. People are fickle. In this pandemic, I'm sure there were many conditional prayers that were sent up many times when people were saying, God, if only you that I'll do this or that. And how many of those prayers have we not followed through on, on our part? People have always been fickle. In Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, reads, And now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God with a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Ten people experienced a miracle, yet only one of them remembered God. Took the time to be thankful. In all four of the Gospels, we have the story of of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And on that day, crowds came out to meet him. And they were all shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And uh, they were, everyone was excited to see him. They knew what it meant. And they were, they were uh, making his path clear, putting out uh, palms and stuff for him. And they were so excited. And yet within, within the week, many had forsaken him. Many had turned their backs on him and had forgotten him. I think it is because of man's fickle ways is one of the reasons why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Because we need to be constantly reminded of the great sacrifice that our Lord and Savior made for us. We are fickle people and we tend to forget but every Sunday when we get together with our brothers and sisters and worship our Lord together, we also take of this Lord's Supper, which helps us remember what Jesus did for us. Let's now give thanks for the Lord's bread. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now at this time. We realize, Father, that we are, we are fickle people and we often forget. But we pray that you're always keeping on our minds We pray that you help us always remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Father, this bread that we now are about to partake of, we pray, Father, that you'll help us to do it in a manner that's pleasing. We're so grateful that Jesus was willing to give his, his body on that cross to die for us that our sins might be washed away. Father, we thank you and ask you to bless it and bless us as we partake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's again go to our Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died, who shed his blood on that cross, the terrible torture that he went through, that he might be the final lamb, the final offering for all sins. Father, as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which is the emblem of his blood that was shed for us, may we again do so in a manner that's pleasing to you. Will you please bless it? Bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As was the custom of the early church, we still continue the custom of of an offering, of giving of our means back to the the body of the church so that the work might be carried on. Um, As you know, we don't pass the trade around right now, but we do have um, some black boxes back there you can put your contribution in. Uh, So let's remember that. Let's have another prayer, please. Our Father, we Thank you, Father. We realize that we are so blessed with all that you have given us, given to us. These earthly blessings we have, we're so grateful for them, Father. We are especially grateful for Jesus. And at this time, though, Father, we thank you for our earthly blessings. And pray, Father, that you would help us to be be mindful of this, Father, and help us to always be willing to share. We pray, Father, that the money collected here this day will be put to good use, that the work might be carried on and many good things might happen father again we thank you for all you do for us it's in christ and we pray and amen
1: let's please stand again we'll sing hymn number 647 647 the love of god so at this time these young children may go to the children's bible hour and with this hymn, we'll sing the first three verses one, two, and three.
2: <clears throat> Since the blood of God has shed Christ's blessings oh, on my head, Lord, I am ready. If my heart, I We see him face to face. Since the Son of God came down, with his father's eyes to grow, he with us would we'll remain. We'll we'll remain. We'll Greater God, there could not we'll be. Jesus died for you and me. me.
1: please be seated. Invitation hymn for this morning, number 380, 380, just as I am. Brother Christian.
4: Good morning. I'll be turning to Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time studying this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. We are walking through this incredible book over the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, the rest that God is offering for His people, and if they'll will just reach out and, and take it, it's there, it's there for us. And today, He's going to continue that theme as we talk about rest in Hebrews chapter four, verses one through thirteen. Uh, he's continuing the the thought that He picked up last week with this idea of rest, and He's, he's going to shoot us back once again to the wilderness generation, the people who, uh, because of unbelief, could not enter Canaan. And he's going to compare that to heaven and our rest that we're longing for. And that's possible for us. Uh, he says, you can get in if you're, if you're willing to work. You can, you can achieve this rest. Um, but if you're not focused, if you're insistent on unbelief, God will not allow that. So let's pick up here in chapter four. We'll start in verse one. He says, "Therefore, while the promise of rest—excuse me—therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were because they were not united by faith with those who listened." Let's just stop right there for just a second, and let's deal with with what he's brought to our attention here. Uh, he says, the rest is still possible. It's still, it's still waiting. It's still there for us. Um, but we could seem to have failed to reach it. And so the possibility of not being saved stands out there for us as a warning, as it did to the wilderness generation. And he says, the problem is not with the good news. The problem is not with God. The problem is not with Jesus. And so if you don't get into this rest, if you're not uh, entering into this rest, the problem is not an insufficiency on their part. The problem is you. The problem is unbelief. The problem is laziness or or a variety of other things that keep us out of His rest. Today he's talking about how they refuse to believe. This little section here at the end of verse 2, they were not united by faith with those who listened, who were those who had listened? Because there's a whole generation of people. In fact, there are 603,550 fighting men who leave Egypt who refused to listen. And those are, that's the generation that he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 4. When they came to Canaan, they looked out and Moses had sent 12 spies, one from each tribe in Israel into the promised land to spy it out, to make sure that it was indeed what God had promised them, that it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, because they did not grow up in this land. Their forefathers did, their ancestors did. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob grew up in this land. And they, they knew what its bounty had to offer, but this generation had never seen it. They grew up in Egypt. Uh, and so they are having to spy out the land to make sure that it is indeed what God said it. Uh, was a land flowing with milk and honey, which indicates to us, I suppose, that first, maybe breadcrumb that God leaves for us here about their, their lack of belief. Should they perhaps just have gone in and conquered the land? Maybe, but that's not what happens. Moses sends in 12 spies, one from each tribe, and there's to spy out the land. Ten of the spies come back, and they say, there's no way we can conquer this land. There are giants ...who live in this land. They're not just any old giants. These are soldiers. These are a whole nation full of Goliaths. But he's not standing out in a field this time... Uh, ...with an armor bearer. He's standing behind a fortified city. He's got walls. And we will be uh, the attacking force... ...attacking giants who live behind fortified walls... ...is a really good way to die. That's what these, this, these ten spies say. The land is good though. And they bring back the picture that always sticks in my head... Uh, is the the pole that's held between two men, one on this side and one on that side, and it 's got grapes on it. Can you imagine the the amount of grapes that it would take for you to hold uh, that you could put on a pole a hole between two guys? This land is everything that God had promised that it would be. It is a land that is good and bountiful and it's going to be plenty uh, for their needs. Will they just go in will they have? enough faith to trust, to, to see beyond the giants, to see beyond their fear, and to believe. that This generation's not. Even though they saw the things that happened in Egypt, the plagues, the ten plagues, even though they saw uh, the, the, in, the amazing deliverance that God has given them in the land of, uh, in, uh, at, at the crossing of the Red Sea, they've seen these things, but they just, refuse to trust those things never stuck with them if you go back through and you read the account of the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus uh, picture it as kind of a V shape I don't know how to make a V with my hand apparently uh, so picture kind of like a V shape uh, and so they come down here and there's water over here on this side they come down here and they start heading up this direction and God tells them to stop the, the, there's a way to get across the water up here um, but God tells them to stop right about there, and they're supposed to go back down into the V. And when they get to the edge of the V right there, at the end of the V, that's when Pharaoh's chariots start coming back down. And you can see in the dust, I mean, in, as you read through this, this story, you can almost see some of the Israelites turn, and they see the dust from the chariots coming down. And they look this way, and there's water that way. They look this way, there's water that way. They look behind them, there's water. They can't get out, they're stuck. And they're terrified. And it comes across in their language, we should have just died in Egypt because now we're going to die a painful death here as the Egyptians come in and kill us all. Of course, God split the Red Sea. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, Splitting the Red Sea and and allowing the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, but not even that. Bringing the Red Sea back in on top of the Egyptians uh, and crushing their army, uh, demoralizing uh, and doing away with all of Israel's enemies at that point. They refused to believe. Even though they had seen those things, you would think as they go into the land of Canaan and the ten spies come back, the twelve spies really come back, I suppose Caleb and Joshua saw the same things that the other ones did. In fact, we know from later accounts in Joshua that Caleb is one of the ones that went up to where the giants lived. And so all 12 spies come back and they say, well, there's, there's giants in the land. And they, they have, they're warriors, men, are, men, of, men of valor. Uh, they have weapons, arsenals of weapons. And they have fortified cities. And there's just no way we can take them. You would think their minds, the people's minds, would immediately go back to the V. God intentionally put them at the V. Do you see that? He told them to turn around right here and go back down. Why would he do that? He's building faith in them, isn't he? He's showing them that he can and should be trusted. They just didn't get it. They just didn't connect the dots. They they just refused to believe. Have they seen ample ample evidence? Absolutely. More than any one generation has a right to see evidence. They had seen God be faithful to them time and time and time again. But here, on this day, in the wilderness, as the twelve spies come back from Canaan, they say, "We, we just can't do it implying that God's not strong enough to do it, implying that they don't think God's capable of providing for them, of giving them rest. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, saying, what are you guys talking about? Don't you remember the Red Sea? Don't you remember the plagues? God brought down the most powerful nation on the planet with flies and frogs. Are you kidding me? He can deal with these giants. In about uh, 45 years or so, Joshua and Caleb are going to make the exact same plea only it's Caleb making it to Joshua as Caleb wants to go out. and He, at 85 years old, is going to become the first giant hunter and he's going to succeed there because God gave him the rest. But here in chapter 4 of Hebrews, in verse 2, they were not united by faith with those who listened. The two who listened were Caleb and Joshua. And the whole rest of the horde of people, the one to two million people, the Israelite nation, They weren't united by faith with Caleb and Joshua, were they? They didn't didn't buy into what Caleb and Joshua were saying about God, how powerful he was and what he was capable of doing, that he was willing to give them rest. And so they died. That entire generation died in the wilderness because they refused to trust. That hits home for us, doesn't it? if we refuse to trust, if we we refuse to live our lives in such a way so that honor can be brought to Him, so that focus can be brought to Him, putting ourselves on the back burner, sacrificing ourselves for His purposes, if we refuse to do that, we will not be entering His rest and we will die in the wilderness. Now, that's difficult for us to grab a hold of, isn't it? This whole idea of putting ourselves on the back burner, sacrificing ourselves so that his agenda, so that he can be magnified, that's hard for us to get a hold of. Sometimes it, we look back at, the, at, the, at people in the Old Testament, or the New Testament even, and we think, oh, those people, how, how could they not have seen? It's so easy for us in our 21st century American eyes to sit in our comfortable pews and think, oh, those Israelites... Why could they not have seen what was going on? Didn't they remember the Red Sea? Didn't they remember the plagues? And we kind of judge them a little too harshly. We don't judge ourselves harshly enough, do we? We don't look at our own lives and say, well, what sacrifices have I made for him? Do I trust that he's going to make good? That he's going to come through for me because I made sacrifices for him? Because I've trusted him? And I've lived my life in line with His truth. I've had to make sacrifices, haven't I? I've had to reprioritize certain things, haven't haven't you? You've had to say no to something so you can say yes to Him. That's lost you friends. That's maybe lost you family. That's certainly (sighs) caused you difficulties throughout life. He Never intended for this life to be easy. He put us here as a training ground for the rest that he's offering. We were never supposed to be comfortable here. This is supposed to be hard. And so we make sacrifices so that we can be in line with his truth. If we're not willing to make those sacrifices, it means we don't trust him. That's the exact same thing that these people are doing. They weren't willing to take the chance. They weren't willing to take the chance. Have you ever thought of something to do faithfully? Like what you ever you ever come across something that was a leap of faith, I suppose. You could phrase it like that, something that you thought, this just doesn't make sense to do this thing. But I think God is telling me to do it through scripture. I think I think this is what's in line with his truth. I'm just gonna do it. And let the tips fall where they may. He's going to take care of it. It's all going to hash out. That's trust. That's faith. Anything short of that is distrust. It's unbelief. And will not land you up in His rest. There's condemnation for that. This lack of trust. This dependence on myself. That's what these people saw when they looked at Canaan and they saw the giants and they saw their armor and they saw their weapons and they saw their fortified cities. They said, we can't do it. Of course you can't do it. You guys are a bunch of farmer slaves. Of course you can't do it. Don't forget that the 603,550 fighting men that left Egypt, who became the nation of Israel, were not warriors. These guys are slaves. They had not been trained in battle. These guys, by law, had never even touched a sword before they left Egypt. Pharaoh did not want them touching swords and spears and armor. That was against his uh, agenda. He did not want them to rise up. And so these guys are not warriors. You, You see how this is beginning to make sense that they look at this nation and think, there's no way we can fight even one giant." It'd be like grasshoppers attacking us. How many grasshoppers would it take to tear you down? A lot, right? They're looking at a whole nation, a whole country full of giants who are warriors who live behind fortified cities. And they're going to have to attack them. And they said, I just don't think we can do it. You can't. That's the whole point. Remember the V? God leads them into this V at the Red Sea, so that they can trust Him, so that He can show His faithfulness to them. He's doing the exact same thing in Canaan. He's putting them in this situation to show them that He is faithful to them. He didn't demand anything the first time, right? The first time with the V at the the crossing of the Red Sea, He didn't demand they do anything. In fact, Moses says, You sit back, don't even open your mouth. And God's going to fight for you. Just watch and see. And he does. In the most fabulous fashion, the Hebrew indicates the possibility in, this, uh, in the Red Sea when, they're, when, they're, uh, the Israel, or when the Egyptians are coming in through the Red Sea, it, the Hebrew seems, seems to indicate that God's ripping off their chariot wheels. But at the very least, he's making the dry ground that the Israelites ran across the Red Sea on, he's making it muddy so that their wheels mar up in it. He's fighting for them in fabulous fashion. Can he be trusted? Absolutely. And so when you come to this day on the at the wilderness, uh, with the wilderness generation, what the 12 spies are saying, they're giants. And these 12 spies say, There's just no way we can go in and do that. That's warranted. That makes sense. That's a logical thing to do. Of course you can't. But God can. You see the leap that they're having to make? This, this, it's not really a leap, though, is it? Later in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he's going to tell us that faith is not a, a leap. Don't think of leaps of faith. This is a measured step. Meaning, you've seen God be faithful. At the crossing of the Red Sea, you saw Him be faithful. That's uh, exhibit two, exhibit B. Exhibit A is how He was faithful during the plagues. And there were several plagues that the Israelites didn't undergo. There was one plague, in fact the last plague, that if they followed his instructions, they didn't have to undergo that plague. Was he faithful there? Yes. Was he faithful at the Red Sea? Yes. And So when they come into Canaan, he's saying, I'll be faithful. Take this step. Trust me. And I'll do this incredible thing for you. You wouldn't even have to do it for yourself. Throughout the book of Joshua, you find when this actually happens, the next generation, this genera- the wilderness generation's children grow up in the wilderness, and they watch God do all these amazing things in the wilderness. <coughs> Excuse me, And then they come in 40 years later after their, all their parents have died. They come in 40 years later, and they're in the exact same situation. But they say, let's go. And they start at Jericho, and God brings down the walls. Do you remember this? Uh, that's just the first example of God saying, I'm going to fight for you. This is me doing this thing. Trust, trust me. These people refused to trust, even though they had seen example after example after example. And it's really easy for us to say, oh, those silly Israelites, when will they get their act together? These silly Americans, when, we, when are we going to get our act together? <laughs> it's awfully easy to judge someone else. It's awfully tough to judge our own actions, and our own faith, our own trust in Him. If you haven't made sacrifices for Him today, you're in exactly the same situation that wilderness generation was. A lack of belief, a lack of trust in Him, and it's going to get you (coughs) condemned. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For he who, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's an allusion to Genesis 1, right? Where God made the, the seventh day, the Saturday, he made that day holy. And he rested on that day and so it's, it's this image of God's done with creation. And so he rested. So rest has always been available to God's people. That's what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us. Rest has been available since day seven of creation. It's not that rest wasn't open to the wilderness generation. It was. It's not that rest isn't available to you. It is. Are you going to take advantage of it? Are you going to do something to obtain that rest? The children of Israel had to do something to get into that rest, right? They had to trust. They had to go, right? There are things that we have to do today to enter God's rest. He's not talking about Canaan anymore. Let me show you that. Verse 7, he says, And he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long uh, afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Right? The Hebrew writer is trying to reason with us here. And he says, listen, if the rest that God was really talking about had been in Canaan, why did David say a thousand years later that today God's willing to offer you rest? If they had already had it a thousand years ago, why is David saying today you need to get it? And the Hebrew writer kind of leaves it out there for us. And we're like, well, don't you see it? It's not Canaan. Canaan was not that rest. It's still a future potential. He's talking about heaven. Verse 9, he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered... Uh, so, Excuse me. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. The, uh, uh, in Revelation, John reminds us through the Holy Spirit that our works follow us into that rest. It's Revelation chapter 14. Our, our works follow us into that rest. And so how you act here affects how you live in eternity. Affects where you live in eternity. So if you've made sacrifices for Him, if you've led a life that's wholly devoted to Him, not focused on anything else but Him, but His kingdom, but following Him, then your works will follow you into eternity. a simple solution isn't it he says you can't save yourself but i'm willing to save you i'm willing to give you rest just like he wanted to give the israelites rest god says i'm willing to give you rest are you going to trust me are you going to make movement toward that today we know thanks to the new testament uh that that rest is entered by and through baptism Having our sins washed away, we are added to His kingdom and we get, if we can remain faithful to Him, that rest. We can get the rest. But it demands our life's focus. It's really hard to focus on two things, isn't it? In fact, Jesus says it's impossible. In Matthew chapter 6, He says you either love God or money. Old King James says mammon, right? He says, you can't focus on two things. And maybe the other thing is not money for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you don't care anything about money. Maybe it's something else. He says, you can't focus on two things at one time. It's not how it works. And So if you want to enter God's rest, you have to be solely focused on Him. On His kingdom. On righteousness. On holiness. On setting yourself aside for His purposes. Verse 11, he says... Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He does this really incredible thing here, the Hebrew writer does, with... Uh, the, with verse 12 when he starts talking about the word of God it's living and it's active uh, you, when he says living and active our, our minds I think automatically go back to creation don't they when his word created literally everything we know it is active it is alive and it's currently holding everything together. That's what he says in Hebrews 1 verse 3. Because of his word is so potent, we can be sure that everything he has said to us will come to pass. He cannot lie. It's not that he does not lie. It's that he cannot. He says that here in Hebrews and he says it again in Titus. He cannot lie. And so everything he has said, all the promises that he has made to us will come now that may be good news for you if you've lived righteously, if you've made decisions that put yourself on the back burner and go for His kingdom. That's good news for you. It's bad news for you if you focused on something else. Because condemnation is Hell is just as much a reality as heaven. And so if we haven't put in the time, if we haven't put in the work to follow Him, we will not be saved. And on the day of judgment, when you meet Him face to face, He's going to ask you why, and you're not going to have an answer. And you'll be forced to spend eternity in hell. Don't let that be you. Jesus doesn't tell us a whole lot about hell. In fact, he's the one that says the most about hell throughout the gospel writers, but even he doesn't tell us all that much about it. From the passages that you read um, throughout the whole New Testament about what hell's going to be like, you get the impression that you don't want to be there. He tells us a little bit more, but the the idea is you don't want to do you don't want to be there. Do everything in your power to stay away from that place. His word is living and active and it's going he will come through on his promises toward us. He also the Hebrew writer pictures God's word as a double-edged sword. And so what could that be representing? Well, Paul calls the Bible a double-edged sword in Ephesians 6:17. We know that and certainly one edge could be a deliverance on the promise of rest while the other one could be judgment. But maybe the more focused, or maybe the po- point we should focus on more uh, is the fact that it's sharp. You ever fiddled with a knife, uh, maybe a new pocket knife, and you've been, as you've been playing with it or whittling or something or cutting something and you cut yourself, it's sharp, isn't it? He says God's Word is the exact same way it pierces us on occasion. We read through scripture and we think, Ooh, I'm not doing that. I'm not living in that way. I'm not living up to that standard. If I am living up to that, if I am living that way, I'm not matching up to his standard. And it indicts us and it, it hurts us, doesn't it? Just like, uh, just like a knife wound would. God's word pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and Meru. A lot of people make a big deal about what the division between spirit and soul is. I don't know. I don't know what the difference, the, the distinction between those two is. If there is a distinction, there may not be. But I think what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us is that um, God's word is so sharp that it can penetrate beyond our human capabilities, beyond anything that we can understand, beyond our minds. His word can penetrate through all that. In fact, in uh, Psalm 90, the one psalm that's attributed to Moses, he says that our secret sins are laid out before God. He sees them all. So the secret sin, the thing that you're thinking right now, that no one else knows about, God knows about it, and He's going to hold you accountable for it because He sees it. It's all laid out right for Him. So are you trusting Him? Remember the Israelites in the middle of the V? Are you trusting him to come through on his promises? Because he will. For good or for bad, he's coming through on his promises. He will be faithful to that because he's a just and righteous God and he must condemn sin. So you've got to find a way to get out of sin. His word teaches us that word, that way. In fact, He says that His Word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, Discerning discerning is the verb uh, kritikos, which means to judge legal cases. So not only does God's Word see everything we've hidden with 20-20 accuracy, it also criticizes those things. It judges our, our life. You ever been so dead set against something, but the more you talk to yourself about it, the more you move closer to that thing, Let me give you an example. Uh, You ever been trying to lose weight and you thought, I'm not going to do dessert today? And you're sitting at the restaurant and you think, chocolate pie sounds good. Maybe just a little bit, you know? And before dinner's over, uh, the waiter comes over and he says, you want any dessert today? And you hear your voice saying, yeah, that'd be great. And you were so dead set against it earlier. The human heart, Jeremiah tells us, is deceptive. It's capable of a great many things. You can talk yourself into just about anything, can't you? Going back to that secret sin, going back to the thing that you've been holding on to for a long time, you think, well, I'm just going to do it one more time. Or nobody's going to know. Or the Bible doesn't really say it's wrong. God sees, He knows, and He criticizes those things. And one day, He will condemn them. And so we have to find a way to get out of sin. How do we do that? Well, He tells us that the only way to get out of sin is to get inside of Christ. We fill our lives so full of Christ through the power of baptism, He washes our sins away and we become His brother. That's a thought Hebrews is really comfortable with. He, he, this author really wants us to see, to sink down into us deeply, that we become Jesus' kindred, His blood relation, thanks to the cleansing power of His blood, through the power of baptism. Once you are baptized, you are taken out of sin. You didn't jump out of sin. God took you out of it, and He's filled you now with Christ, and you become His possession, which means that you always go after what He wants. That's why Jesus says you count the cost. You count the cost of following Him. Because there is always a cost, isn't there? There's always a cost. So what are you willing to pay? Scripturally speaking, and logically speaking, faithfully speaking, it's worth whatever you have to pay to follow Him. You give up everything to follow Him. If he demanded your life, if he demanded your house, if he demanded your family, if he demanded your money, if he demanded your mind, your everything, you get the good end of the deal because you got him. So this morning, what are you willing to give up? Have you thought about it? Have you counted the cost? Don't put your, he would say, don't put your hand to the plow if you haven't already counted the cost. So I'm begging with you today, count the cost. Figure out what it's what you're willing to pay and realize that he is worth whatever you have to give up to obtain him. If you've already counted the cost this morning, you want to be a part of his family, having your sins washed away. We want to aid you in baptism as he brings you into his kingdom. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be a faithful member of his family. Whatever you're need this morning, I want you come as we stand and sing. <laughs> as I James Ward comes forward today. and says that he just needs uh, some prayers for his family. They're going through some things right now that uh, are very tough, and he would ask for this congregation's prayers. So we'll ask one of our shepherds, Gary, if you don't mind, come up and lead the prayer for James and Kristen and their family, and uh, just intercede in their behalf that God can work through them and heal uh, whatever's broken, whatever's going on, that uh, some good can come out of this situation.
5: Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we're so thankful, Father, that uh, we can come to you at this time and and pray, Father, for our brother in Christ and, and his family. And Father, we know the uh, the struggles that uh, that James and Kristen and his family's been going through with Kristen's health, and Father, we just pray that. Uh, that you will bless them, Father. We pray that uh, that you will uh, give James uh, the strength, Father, to uh, to be a good husband and and and, and father and, and be a good father. And he is, Father. He he does a super job. And and Father, we're thankful for the things that James does in his congregation and his family. Father, they just need strength at this time. Uh, they're dealing with so much. And, and, Father, we just know at this time that, that we can come to you and, and you hear our prayers. We pray, Father, that you'll bless that family. Bless us, Father, as, uh, as we try to, to help them, remember them in our everyday prayers, Father we pray for Kristen. We pray Father that that uh, you will bless her and you bless the treatments and things that she goes through and we pray Father for for Mason and, and Brayden, Father that you will bless them. We know that you love us, Lord, and 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 that we love you too and we're thankful for all the blessing that you give us and And, Father, we know there's many times that that, that we hurt and, and there's things we don't understand. But we do know, Father, that you love us and that you care. Father, forgive us when we fall short of what you have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
6: Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements uh, before we are dismissed. Um, first off, I'd like to uh, congratulate Evan Williams. Uh, he got first All American uh, OVC in soccer. Um, also, special mention Mason Ward, so, congratulate him. He uh, got all districts in football, and Steeler Leap got first team all district in football as well. And uh, Jenna Picklesheimer, they placed third in their cheer competition. Uh, and got uh, uh, a bid for nationals, so great job. we're always so proud of our teens here at Rome, and um, Mary, continue to always pray for them and keep them in your prayers. Owen Baker was first team as well. Oh, Owen Baker was first team, all American. <laughs> not all American. <laughs> I've watched too much Netflix. Thank you, cross-country. Um, as a reminder, that uh, there's a team devotional uh, tonight at uh, my house, um, after services tonight, at, after four o'clock. Also, uh, today's picture day for a directory. We're starting a new directory. Um, it's, you, don't, you don't have to do it today if you're not ready for it, so don't. You're all right. So we'll be taking pictures all the way through uh, November and, and uh, December uh, so if you can um, please uh, check the addresses, the phone numbers and uh, fill out a sheet for us. Uh, be greatly appreciated so that way it's we probably go through about 300 directories or more um, during our time of directories just passing them out. It, it's helpful for our new members to have a directory as well to kind of look back and get to know everybody. So uh, if you can, uh, we love your participation in uh, getting directory done. Um, also, uh, next Sunday will be our Thanksgiving food drive. There will be a table set out in the foyer uh, for you to place your food for our food drive. Um, also, next Sunday at 4 o'clock will be our third Sunday singing. There's a sign out, out in the foyer where you can write down your favorite hymn and also uh, the page number. Um, what an opportunity that we uh, get to praise God and sing our hymns and be spiritually lifted. Uh, CYC is coming up. It was not until February, but sign-up dates coming up. Uh, the last day you can sign up for CYC is December 1st. Um, that gets us the cheaper ticket prices uh, for CYC. So if you're planning on going to CYC, please sign up before December 1st. So that way I can uh, go and plan accordingly. For that. Uh, we are in need of Bible teachers um, for Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, and also for Bible hour for the new winter quarter. Um, there's a sign-up sheet and a four-year board um, I need to know by uh, November 28th on who can help teach, so it would be greatly appreciated. Um, also, our sympathy to... The Jones family, the passing of Mildred Jones, and also to the Blake family, the passing of Eric Blake. Uh, their funerals were held this weekend and this week. Uh, so remember continue to keep them in your prayers. And also remember in your prayers as well as J.B. Wan, and Wanda Lawson and Susie, uh, the death of their brother Greg. Um, funeral arrangements have not been made yet, but as soon as we know something, we'll post something on our prayer page on Facebook um, to let everybody know. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, Please don't forget to grab a bulletin. There's so many others that are on our prayer list that uh, need your prayers on a daily basis. And also so many other activities going on this week. Uh, Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 4 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
1: Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 180. 180. We'll sing, sing the first and last verse, and then Brother Casey Baker will lead our prayer. God is love.
2: God is would God to sing God is
7: Let us pray. Father, we come to you now thankful for another day, another gathering of the of the believers, Father. We thank you for the assembly that we've had here today to worship you. Praise your name. Praise your love, Father. We thank you for the lesson that Chris has delivered to us, Father. Father, we ask a special prayer for those who have lost loved ones in the past week Father the, the Lawson family, Father the, the Blake family the Jones family, Father we we ask for your comfort on them Father we say a pre- special prayer for the Ward family, Father and and the struggles that they are having now, Father we pray for the health of Kristen. We pray for just peace, Father, for the whole family, Father. We ask that you comfort them and and all the others, Father, that are in need, those who may not know how to express their needs, Father, but but you know what they are, and we ask for your blessings on them. We thank you for your son and his death, Father, and the, the salvation that comes from it. We pray for your forgiveness when we fall short of that that sacrifice and that love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.